Here we go. Welcome everybody to the G&T sessions. Gerda, Mola, Tess, Crawley, G&T. Um, we, <laughs> we started this podcast a while back as a bit of a fun idea to get really an excuse just to get the two of us together because we do love to hang out. And um, Gerda lives at one end of Australia and I was living right at the bottom end. Now, of course, mm. I'm not quite so far south. Um, but now, of course, we're finding that our combined audiences, our combined communities mm. Um, and needing more than ever insights into how to handle some of the stuff that we're finding ourselves tangled up in around running a private practice, running a business during the, 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 the era of COVID-19. So we thought we might talk a little bit about that today. Um, how are you, Gerda? I hope you haven't frozen. I, think I can't hear you. You can't can you hear, hear me? me? I can hear you. I can hear you. I'm not muted, but I can hear you. I'm going. There you are. Oh, can you hear me? Hello. Now? There you are. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hear you there for a bit. You were going. Oh, no. <laughs> I think we've got a dodgy internet no, connection. I'm not sure if it's mine. Maybe our people can get that up. Yeah. <laughs> See how we go. See how we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fabulous. What do you want to fill us in on this week? Yeah, I, I like. I'm going to put the spotlight on you. Just, said. just so that you know, I missed everything that you just said. So we've just been I, talking I, about the wonders of technology. Okay, all right. <laughs> but what I was saying was, what I was saying really was that um, you know the podcast. The, the need for the podcast or the reason or the rationale for the podcast has shifted a little bit now. It's an opportunity for us to get together and sing from the same song sheet with all of the troubles that people are experiencing yeah. in running their businesses uh, during the era yeah. of COVID-19. We've both had, I think we've both had, or everybody has had a bunch of weeks that have felt like years, but I think you and I in particular have had you know, a lot of um, need to be very present for people, especially private practitioners, um, in the last yeah. couple of weeks, we've ever sh shifting rules and obligations yeah. Yeah. as yeah. we move forward. How's your experience of that been? Yeah, it's um, probably very similar to your own. And I, I think the, the challenge that a lot of people have is the fact that there's so uncertainty and there's a lot of decision yeah. making that needs to happen. And people are just so darn scared to make the wrong decisions. And yeah. They ask everybody else what they need to do when, when very often it's a very individualized decision because our businesses might have a lot of similarities, but there's also mm -hmm. a lot of differences, right? Um, yeah. And then people get stuck into, um, I don't know, it's a procrastination that, well, they're just not making a decision because they don't know what the right thing is to do, right? That's it. Um, so it's really, really hard. And, and I mean, I, for one, always grateful that I have somebody that thinks very similar to myself and yourself and the two of us can bounce stuff off one another. And I guess that's why we want to talk about 
the things we talk about, why we want to talk about the issues we want to talk about today to also share that with other people that might not be in a similar situation um, because there's a trust in this relationship as well, right? Uh, there's an honesty, there's a transparency, there's a vulnerability and, and all this combined knowledge and experience. So it's like when I ask you for input and advice, mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, yeah, I can go with that, right? I don't need to have that confirmed by 120,000 other people. I only need to yeah. hear from this one person and, and that just makes it so much easier, right? And it's my hope that we can help our communities with that this morning by having this discussion. I think so. I think I think um, probably now more than ever, I think people need to really be connected with people they trust and with, opin with people whose opinions and advice they trust. I, I think one of the things that I've noticed that does concern me a little bit, we've always seen this, I think we've always seen this in mm -hmm. Facebook groups and things like that, is where someone will post a question and there'll be a lot of answers that are, I think this and I think that. And then there'll be a lot of other commenters, oh, but what about this? But what about that? Um, and you get a sort of a, a, a minestrone soup kind of answer instead of a pure mm. essence of beef answer. Yes. Um, and I think, I think in days like this, if you're a member of somebody's group, whether it's mine or Gerda's or whoever it is, if you're a member of a group that has a strong leadership, like has a, someone at the helm of that group driving the culture, I think if you're asking questions in that group and you specifically want to know a clear answer, I think it's really important to tag the group owner, because I think you're probably the same, Gerda. I don't get notifications of everything that happens in my group. That's a change that happened with yeah. Facebook groups a long time ago or seems a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I used to get notified whenever anything happened in one of my groups. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it's a bit hit and miss. So I think mm -hmm. the first thing I would be saying to people, finding advice or seeking advice online is if you're in a group of someone you trust, then ask the group mm -hmm. owner, um, tag them in a question yeah. if, if it's a really important question that needs a really clear answer and you know that they mm. are likely to have that information for you then mm. tag them just to be sure that they don't miss the question yeah um, i know certainly you and i gerda we're very very keen to um reduce confusion in our groups maintain a culture within our groups mm. uh, we've mm. both got groups that are you know we i think both of us actually are very lucky in that the groups that we have have a beautiful tone to them mm. and mm. um and of course you and i are equally willing to answer any questions posed in that group if mm. we see them but mm. we don't always see them it's probably the first thing the first thing i've noticed this week is is just that level of fear mm. and, and and that that increased chatter within groups with a lot of confusion thrown into the mix mm -hmm. because everyone's anxious at the moment, mm -hmm. which is understandable. Yeah. It's understandable. Yeah, and the thing is, it, it just makes it then harder. You know, you go into a group, you ask a question, hoping to get some clear direction, and you get all these different opinions, right? And it's yeah. like, oh, that makes it worse. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think this is why, you know, this is why you know, groups mm. like ours exist because there are many, many times, many, many times, you know, a question might be asked and the answer, there might not be one right answer. There might be yeah. an opinion. And yeah. um, we've seen an example of that this past week, I think with the Australian Psychological Society expressing an opinion within a webinar um, mm. about, um, about billing practices within private, private psychology practices in particular. Mm. Um, and, and I think what's been really important that you and I've conveyed to our audiences is mm -hmm. that that's their opinion. There, it isn't, the, yeah. you know, what they had to say 
is not mm -hmm. documented in our code of ethics and it is not documented mm -hmm. in the legislation around Medicare that we yeah. must apply Medicare item mm -hmm. numbers if a, yeah. a mental health care plan exists. That does not, that, there, that's not a rule. That was an mm -hmm. opinion mm -hmm. made on the fly by, by two very tired, hardworking women at the very end of a, of a, mm -hmm. of a, a webinar late-ish mm. in the evening. So I think that has to be taken context that opinions aren't always right answers. So sometimes you do have to yeah. wade through a lot of opinions and then come up, still come up with your own decision. And I think that's where a lot of people are scared mm. because we are now mm. having to make a lot of our own decisions. So people in private practice who've always bulk billed, that's, mm. that's a decision they made to suit mm. their business and to if if that makes sense financially for their business that's mm. that's fine that's their decision people who've never bulk build um that's a business decision they've made and there's no judgment mm. between those mm. two decisions whatever is right for your business yep. i know if i bulk build everyone in my practice i would have to fire people whose bulk billing rate was so low it wouldn't mm. come up with their salaries so you know it's it's mm. a business by business decision mm. and it comes down to a client yep. by client conversation as well Mm. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, I've always said, you know, hats off to you if you decide to have a bulk billing practice. Um, if, if that was me, I would probably um, change my company structure to a non-for-profit so I can mm. have all the other benefits that comes with being a non-for-profit, right? Mm. But I think it would be really hard to run a for-profit, scalable, long-term sustainable business if you're going to bulk bulk. Yeah. And you of course, then run the risk, which I'm not willing to take, of burning out your team, yeah. right? Um, so, and of course, with everything, there comes consequences. Maybe, you know, you can feel good about saying that I bought for mm. people and I'm being really, you know, good in that way. But what about your other people, right? Yeah. Um, mm. Our clients, people, and our team people are equally important. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yep. You know, and, and I don't judge people that wanted to have a bulk billing practice, but I expect the, the same courtesy in return, right? So, yes, yes. And of course, it's been a hot topic all week. It's been a very hot topic all week. <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, with yesterday's announcement uh, by the APS, which has been confirmed this morning, there's been an um, MBS um, fact sheet release with um, you know all the new billing requirements and um, conditions um, and I'm sure everybody knows about it but to be clear of course if you're now using your telehealth item numbers for anybody except those in the vulnerable category then you can use your normal uh, billing practices i.e. charge a full fee and the client can then mm. rebate but mm. now of course that that's good news let's just acknowledge you know that's awesome that's amazing that's better than it was last week yeah. <laughs> for a whole section of clients community members and practice owners but now we have this other subsection a very important uh, subsection of our private practice community especially the pediatric private practices that work with kids that are now told that you have one of two choices you either need to bulk bull your clients or they're all going to be out of pocket Okay. Yes, without and a rebate at all from Medicare. Yeah. yeah. 
So and it makes no sense. I mean, there's a number of there's a number of areas of practice that are directly, you know, geriatric practice, um, health psychology, child psychology, perinatal psychology. There's a number of areas of practice where, you know, clients who are used to paying an out of pocket expense, they're able to still pay an out of pocket expense, and this this blanket rule doesn't take into account individual circumstances. And I think it's really important to add all private practitioners have the ability to take individual circumstances mm. into account and, and do so. Mm. You know, that's never, mm. ever been a question. It's when we've got blanket rules that shift the, the viability of a practice overnight, which is what this, this rule has done for a lot of, a lot of um, mm. I think the paediatric um, mm. private psychology practices have been the most vocal to date. Right. And understandably, their whole practice is built around a population that has had parents, working parents, mm. paying privately mm. for these sessions. And now the government yeah. said, just on a whim, it must be bulk built. Mm. It sounds very much that uh, GPs have had for a while, so family doctors have had for a while, the ability yeah. to access an incentive payment for bulk billing. And mm. so they get extra, extra money on top if they bulk bill yeah. these specific populations, which are the same populations, uh, coincidentally, that have been um, included in mm. this latest change from government. Mm. So whether that means, and I would love this to be the case, but whether that means we're on track to eventually have bulk bill incentives for this population or not, the fact remains mm. that right now it's made it very, very difficult mm. for a number mm. of practices to remain viable and um so yeah like you say it's almost like this black and white decision you either bulk bill so run at a loss and bulk bill or don't offer a rebate for medicare at all and then it's a difficult conversation with your client obviously there are there are shades of gray and that's probably something we can talk about today which i've been talking about with my my groups a bit is shades of gray really And and it's hard, right? I know the government is trying to be helpful and supportive, but it puts private practice owners in a really difficult position where really they are having to choose between keeping their doors open potentially Mm. and and how hard or difficult it might be or how long they will have versus servicing their clients, right? Um, Yeah. really tough choice that they are expecting them to make. And I think that's where all this angst is coming from because, you know, these decisions that we are making need to pass our moral judgment test, right? You want to be able to sleep at night um, knowing that not only are you looking after your clients, but you're looking after your team and and their families and, you know, helping them keep a roof over their heads. And and that's why the the, the moral injury there is is like really significant and people are struggling with that right now. That's it. I think it's a little bit like, like if you think of a restaurant, I often think about this with restaurants, and this is why we've seen so many restaurants toy with the idea of takeaway and delivery and then decide perhaps to close their doors and ride it out. And I think the JobKeeper initiative is, is such a godsend for restaurants and other um, hospitality industries. But um, you think of a restaurant, what does it cost a restaurant to open their doors? Because it's not just tables and and bottoms seated at tables. It's how many people do they need in the kitchen to run certain equipment to you know, what it, who does the sauces who does the preparation of the meat who does the desserts who does all the different specialized things within the kitchen so it costs a restaurant a ton of money just to open the door just to have the people in yeah. the kitchen preparing yeah. everything which they have spent hours being paid to prepare 
before a single customer walks in the door. So it would be Mm. very much like the government stating that, okay, restaurants, you're allowed to stay open, but you must charge the same price as McDonald's. Mm. That's Mm. that's an analogy that that I think probably holds true for for group practice owners at the minute. If you're a group practice owner, you have to pay your staff to turn up whether a client Mm. walks in the door or not, being told equivalent of you have to charge the same as McDonald's, so you have to bulk bill. Um, yeah. And you've got all the admin staff and all of the mm. other people involved, let alone your rent and your running costs and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, it, it, there's a sentiment in the community that everybody is taking a hit. Everybody's experiencing losses mm. of some sort or another. I've told you before, you know, mm. my husband's lost his work as mm. a result of the current mm. circumstances. Um, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, mental health is included as one of the essential services, but that's still required to take such a big hit. Um, so my mm-hmm. advice is to be flexible in how you approach billing with each of your clients, to have a conversation about what they can afford to pay you, to develop. I've never used a sliding scale in my practice, but I would now be open to a conversation with each client on a, on a case-by-case basis about what they could afford to pay for this session. Yeah. And if that changes, yeah. we'll have another conversation down the track. I think we really need to be, mm-hmm. we need to remove some of the blinkers around what we've had as policies before. Mm-hmm. And now, now the policy really needs to be about flexibility because mm-hmm. that works better for the, for the practice owner and the clinician mm-hmm. uh, as much as it does for the client, mm-hmm. knowing that there's some flexibility and some room to move rather than mm-hmm. it's either one or the other. We need to find the shades of mm-hmm. grey middle. Mm. yeah i mean i've seen a lot of comments in facebook groups where people say i must now bulk bill i'm not going to have a choice right mm. or my clients won't come and that's like mm. with, you know when i read that i i feel very sad because it's like you know you're giving up and i know why you know it's hard it feels like you've uh, got no control yeah. and you know or you need to do all this stuff that maybe really grades against you, right? In terms of knowing, because we've got so much empathy for our clients in terms of knowing what they might be going through. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I 100% see what we do as an essential service. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a business owner, I also know it's my job to ensure that this essential service continues to be out here in the community, whether it's still continuing a limited number of face-to-face sessions uh, with all the appropriate social distancing as per the government guidelines, whether it is online, this essential service needs to be around for as long as possible, right? Um, And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly telling people, also reminding myself that this is not the time to be short sighted, right? So we need to be making decisions um, whilst, yes, getting through this very um, difficult period right now of constant change, so that's where the flexibility comes in, but still knowing that all of the decisions I make today, how does this feed into me still being here in three months, in six months, in 12 months? Because guess what? Uh, the consequences of all of this stuff is going to continue beyond the next six months, right? The mental health impact of it, the relationship Mm -hmm. and all of those impacts is still going to continue. So it is essential that we as an essential service remain here. Mm -hmm. And therefore, for me, it would be really hard to close my business down. For me personally, that would really grain uh, against, Mm -hmm. you know, what my 
personal vision for my practices yeah. and for myself as a helping professional, which might be different for others, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another important thing that whatever decision each person makes, it's okay, right? For some people, stepping back and closing the doors and going, okay, this is my rent, you know, maybe that's all I need to look after right now. Maybe I'm a solo practitioner. Maybe that's in my best interest. So it's really about what's going to get you through this, you, your family, and then if you have a team, your team as well, right? Yeah. Um, and, and knowing that whatever you decide, it's not a failure. Um, you're in the right decision. I think, I think it's really important. There's no wrong answers if it works for your business. And not only that, you are not wrong if you change your mind. You are not a bad business owner if you change your mind. In fact, I talk about this a lot. I think as a business owner, you need to be flexible. You need to be fleet-footed. You need to be able to hop from one side to the other and change your balance as is required. And so, in fact, it's, a, it's a, an example of strength and good business ownership when you... Yeah recognize that something has changed and you need to adapt accordingly so to change mm -hmm. your mind it's okay that if what you decide today is right for today and then tomorrow it's no longer right you're allowed to change your mind and implement a different a different mm -hmm. approach and i think the key to all of that is actually um, communication with your clients and i think no matter what business sector you're in communication with your customers or your clients is so 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 important and just reflecting back we're all, I mean, it's becoming a cliche, but we are all in this together. And none of us knows what next week's going to look like, let alone next month. And so we're going to approach this a day at a time, a week at a time. One day we might be able to say a month at a time. Um, yeah. But we also, as business owners, do need to, whether you're a business owner with a business of one or a business of many people, you need to be flexible in the now, but you also need to have a bit of a longer-term vision so you can see roughly where you're heading, even if it's just I'm committed to the idea of staying open yeah. and I am committed to the idea of, of seeing myself in six months, 12 months' time still mm. running this business. Yeah. If that's all you can see right now, that's enough to try and mm. hold you steady so that the decisions you make now are strategic rather than reactive. And I think that there's a lot of reactive decision-making going on at the moment, which is really quite, quite understandable. Mm. Um, and, and people are afraid of being wrong. And I think it's really important that we just mm. pose ourselves down and be a bit kinder to ourselves and mm. allow that flexibility and mm. generosity that we would encourage our clients to practice, mm. self-compassion, all of those things. Yes, yes, most certainly. I mean, I, I've become very mindful of the language that we are using at the practice, both with clients and also with our team and with ourselves. Like at this time, this is what we're doing, right? Because that might change tomorrow. Yep. It's like at this time, this is the policy. At this time, this is what we're using and this is what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, because um, I, for one, I personally don't like going back on my word, right? But I know that this is, it's essential right now, that behavioral yep. flexibility. And for me, it has made me more comfortable going, at this time, this is the decision that we've made based on the information at hand, right? Because yep. that's what we're doing right now. We are trying to make the best decisions based on the information at hand right now. Once that information changes, we might need to make new decisions and that is okay as well, as you've just said. Absolutely right. And in fact, we, we, need to, we need to actually embrace the necessity to do that, I think. So I think that we need to prepare ourselves. If we're used to running things a certain way, 
we need to prepare ourselves to mm. be doing things a different way on a day by day basis. Um, you know, I'm, I'm challenging people to even, you know, question whether or not they are communicating with their clients about where they're at right now. Do you, does your client actually need a 50 minute session right now when they can't even find somewhere confidential to have a 50 minute conversation with you? Mm -hmm. um, the number of clinicians I'm hearing talking about their clients doing telehealth from their car because it's the only place where they can talk privately. So it might mm -hmm. even be that what your client needs right now to hold them steady during this changing mm -hmm. time until we do find a new normal, they might just need a 15 minute check in mm -hmm. with you every week. Mm -hmm. And you can build for that. You can't use Medicare for that, but you can build for a 15-minute phone conversation if that's what's keeping yeah. your client feeling steady while yeah. we settle into a new normal. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not the sort of thing. Lawyers are really good at that. Mm -hmm. Lawyers are really good at billing for their time. We're yeah. not, and we need to be better. We need to make decisions. If we want to run viable businesses, we need mm -hmm. to stop assuming that everything's a 50-minute session and it's either bot build or it's not, you know, there's, there's so many different shades of gray that we just leave unexplored with many colors, let alone gray yeah. that we, we leave unexplored because we're, we've been sort of, I guess, lulled into a habit mm -hmm. of practice. Um, yes. From a clinical perspective, uh, certain therapeutic modalities require a number of boxes to be ticked before they're, they're what we would call evidence-based but at the moment, checking in with your client for a 15-minute conversation to see that they're keeping their head above the water and to just remind them of the coping strategies you've already taught them, that might be all they need or some of them need right now. So finding out from your client what they need right now and how you can best meet them where they're at will also educate you a little bit about what, what you can do differently that supports your clients going forward, at least for now. <laughs> Exactly. You know, because if you think about it, if you're doing 15 minute sessions, you, you can't use rebates anyway. So you can do non-Medicare mandated work, right? What people yeah. probably need is just supportive person-centered therapy, you know, a yeah. listening ear, unconditional positive yeah. regard, you know, all of yeah. that type of stuff. That's what they need, that relationship stuff, somebody to connect with and, and, and just talk to and debrief with. So and, and again, it's meeting our clients where they're at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and supporting them in that way. But it starts with us stepping out of the mindset, the little box of yeah. how things work and it how is uncomfortable until yeah. you've done it a couple of times and then it's yeah. all packed, right? And yeah. you should be very proud of yourself if you are innovating. Um, and I think what often happens is we are so scared that other people are going to go, oh my God, you're doing 15 minute sessions. You can't do that. It's like, you can do whatever the hell you need to, as long as it's legal, yeah. <laughs> you know, ethical. Yeah. You are and as, and as long as the, you and the client have an agreement that this is what you're going to do yeah. for now, yeah. you know, if, if the client is just needing that little steadying, you can enter into text-based communication, SMSs, if you and your client agree to that and you and your client yeah. can agree to what that costs. You know, yeah. it might, it might be that you charge them, you know, X amount of money per text message, or it might be that you charge them an amount per week for a daily check-in or a daily mm -hmm. back and forth. You can make up yeah. the rules around how you bill for something like that with whatever yeah. you're comfortable with and whatever, um, mm -hmm. you know, ticks off on the need to bill for your time appropriately. 
Just yeah. because it's not linked to Medicare doesn't make it wrong. And I think no. that's where, um, you know, I've been in mm. practice here in Australia since long before Medicare. So I think that mm. what I've seen is that, you know, over the last t over 10 years of Medicare in Australia mm. for, for psychology and the other mental health professions, I've seen it actually has boxed clinicians into what they think mm. is a reasonable use mm. of their time or how their time should should be spent. Yeah. We, need to, we need to take those blinkers off. Mm -hmm. We really do need to take those blinkers off. I'm hearing a number of clinicians saying they might not go back to using Medicare at all. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a decision that you're also allowed to make. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. absolutely allowed to make that decision. Because it's the same, it's the same with the whole thing of clients only get 10 sessions. No, they don't. They can have as many sessions as they want, right? Mm. Um, Medicare supports 10. But a lot of people then, if they work within the Medicare setting, they then only do 10 sessions with their clients when 20 might be indicated because God forbid the client has to pay out of pocket. But yeah. their mental health is important enough, right? Yeah. And the government can't fund everything no. uh, through Medicare. Yes, there's you know there's NGOs and all of that type of thing. But for private practice, we're in a different sector of the market, and we That's need it. to also know what our job is. And and it's our job to look after this part of the market. We can't be public mental health. We can't be the NGOs mm -hmm. unless you are an NGO, right? Um, yeah. And really stepping into who we are as a private practice mm. and, and owning that and not being ashamed to say that we are a for-profit business. And, and let's be clear, people are not right now for-profit. They just want to break even and keep their doors open. But as a general rule, there's no shame in that. Mm. The majority of other businesses out there are for-profit yeah. businesses. And why yeah. should we be judged any differently to them, right? And you know what? We, it's often within our own ranks that that judgment come from oh absolutely that part. Mm. Mm. and I think I think you know when you look at you look at some of the Facebook groups so if we think about psychologists specifically mm. just for the minute just just to mm. use them as a simpler example and we've got a lot of Facebook groups so there might be a clinical psychology interest group or there might be a health psychology interest group or there might be a uh, an interest group that's geographically uh, linking uh, psychologists mm. together not everyone in that group is going to be in private practice. And I think that that's something that a lot of private practitioners, when they're asking for advice within those groups, don't necessarily realise that not everyone in that group is in private practice or owns a practice yeah. or has ever owned a business or necessarily has even been in practice at all. So some of them would be, you know, academic. And that's fine. But just yep. know the group you're in and be, be um, mindful that some of the advice you're receiving from some of those groups might not be from people who actually know mm. the ins mm. and outs of running a private practice and how hard and tricky it can be. I, I mean, I, I want to touch base on that, that issue of profit, you know, and I think that most people think profit, profit is, you know, profit, <laughs> profit, it's like this mythical beast, you know, that, and, and this mythical thing that exists. Most businesses, when they've got a profit, it's actually going back into the business in some way or another. Mm -hmm. I've used mm -hmm. the analogy this week, when we talk about profit, I've, I've used the analogy this week that if you think of an employee, the profit that an employee gets mm -hmm. from being employed is paid holidays and paid sick leave. The mm -hmm. profit that a practice owner gets is sometimes, if they're lucky, some paid sick leave and some paid mm -hmm. holiday mm -hmm. pay. They should get all of that stuff. But most mm -hmm. businesses don't run enough of a profit yeah. to support practice owners taking or business mm -hmm. owners taking paid leave. Um, 
most profits actually in some way or another go back into the businesses in some form that might be paying for professional development and all of those things can be budgeted for and still allow room for a profit which could be money say put aside for a rainy day or it could be for the practice owner as a reward for all the risk and stress that they've had but if you charge accordingly you can start including more and more and more of those things in your budget mm. through line items and still have a separate line item for profit but most businesses don't mm. and that's mm -hmm. the struggle most businesses don't mm. so we and talk about being we... for profit it's, it's almost like we really what we're saying is we're in favor of profit it would be nice if, you, if we all had some <laughs> yeah and, and that's what we should be aiming for making lots and lots of profit we would have been much calmer during yes. this whole process mm -hmm. because you would have all this profit in your profit coffers somewhere yes. sitting there and you would go like a, a vault where you've got all your jewels in one pile over yes. here and your piles of golden coins over here and you've got your golden <laughs> cups over here and <laughs> little it's crown like, in the back it is like a mythical beast <laughs> yes like, and 99% of people don't have that because a lot of people are building and scaling their business. And when you're in the building expansion phase, you are reinvesting that money yeah. back into it, right? It. Um, so it's like people think it's there, but it's not. And sometimes it might be, let me tell you this, on your balance sheet <laughs> or your profit and loss statement. Oh, I know. You that's then you like them. <laughs> Where the hell is the actual money, right? And these were always, you know, these have always mm -hmm. been my favorite conversations with my accountant, you know, because mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. you do show across the course of a whole year. Yeah. If you're running a dog, yes, you will show a profit. But being a small to medium business or a micro business, if you're a solopreneur, you can have good months and bad months and in the middle months and then amazing months and then, oh my God, really terrifying months. So our annual profit is what, what would happen if you evened everything out nice and into a nice predictable straight line. But that's not the reality. It's very, very up and down, very unpredictable. I often say, you know, this is. Is a, it's a roller coaster. It's not a carousel. Mm. It doesn't go sedately mm. around around in circles. It goes up and down and mm. around and then twist the loop and the loop, all sorts of unexpected yeah. business. But most entrepreneurs, I was, I was having this conversation mm. yesterday with Evan Carmichael mm. in Canada. Most entrepreneurs are, you know, we, we're interesting characters, you know, business owners, we're mm. interesting characters. We're not, we're not satisfied with um, most of us mm. not satisfied with the same day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Otherwise, mm. we, we would have, you know, I don't know, worked mm. for yeah. a bank or a post office or driven a tram or something that was very predictable and same-ish, mm. same-ish, day in, day yeah. out. Um, to own your own business, you're basically signing up for the ups and the downs. And this, what we're mm. experiencing now, for many, many business owners, is their first mm. crisis in business. Yeah. So for those yeah. of us who've had crises in business before, we've earned a few scars, a few stripes. Mm. It, ha it actually does inform how we handle mm. this particular crisis, even though this is like nothing we've ever seen before. Mm. So mm. if this is your first business crisis, kind of try to embrace a little bit of a, uh, um, a badge of honour because mm -hmm. this is you earning your stripes as a business owner, um, having, having faced a crisis and... Mm committing to coming through yeah. the other end because yeah. we're all we're all cheering for you to come out the other end as well 
you know it's exactly and you know having gone through previous crises we know that you can get through it you do get through um, it mm. you know at it happens and you'll be okay at the other end of it. And it's about trusting the process and trusting that every day you are doing your best to make the right decisions with the information you have. And, um, and that's the only way to get through this. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I think, you know, my tips for people at the moment are to on an individual level, a bit more self-compassion and you know and, and flexibility so being okay with changing your mm-hmm. mind if what's mm-hmm. working today isn't working tomorrow because it's bound to happen mm-hmm. i think on a on a bit outside the individual level you know seek support from people who know what they're talking about um join the groups that have strong leadership with a strong culture mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. you you know that there's somebody at the helm mm-hmm. who's actually behind the scenes doing research on your behalf um mm-hmm. And I think, I think um, keep communicating, keep communicating. I had a lovely meeting this morning with my um, team uh, in Tasmania and we're going to have a fortnightly, well, the plan is a fortnightly Zoom call. And I said yeah. to them, look, if we need to go to weekly just because of the connection, because they're all working from home and two of them are in rural yeah. locations, so they're really you know, isolated from the team um, geographically yeah. as well. I've said to them, you know, if we need to meet weekly just to keep that connection going during this really tricky time, and I don't care if we don't even talk about work right now, if that's what you want to, if that's what you need, then that's all you need to do. Um, And that might not be the case. That might not be what they need today, but it might be in a month or three months time when it's all starting to lose its novelty and uh, we're thin. it, It is very important. Very, very important uh, communication with the team and with the clients. And and, and you did touch on it, but uh, the, the earlier point that I think we just need to put a little line underneath it is uh, when you are in groups where they are non-private practice people telling you what to do in your business, do not listen to them, please. I'm mm. going to be very straight. Do not listen yeah. to them. I, yeah. I've got no standing to advise somebody that's an academic on how to do their job right? Because that's not my job. It's not my career. Um, and really, they shouldn't be telling you how to run your practice when they've got no idea. Um, it's their opinion. They allowed to express it, but I most certainly won't be making my business decisions based on that. Um, no. Definitely not. Yeah. Mm. I think linked to that too is, is um, mm. I've been encouraging people this week to just be a bit more judicious about, about what they're consuming on social media. Mm. And to maybe, maybe even if it's only temporarily, just trim back um, what you're following because there are so many conflicting opinions. So maybe you know, trim back what you're listening to and what you're following to be more uh, in line with sources that you know are coming from a place of research and knowledge. And by research, I mean you know, you know, they're keeping on top of what's really important and relevant for you and your business. Um, because it is, it is. A, there's so much information out there yeah. at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I know uh, Celeste Barber was talking the other day about how some of her Instagram stories got pulled mm-hmm. by um, Instagram because they initiated this um, drive yeah. to remove things that weren't specific, that were mentioning COVID-19 but weren't coming from authorised sources Instagram was pulling them and she had done some stories around delivering pizzas to frontline workers at the hospital Mm -hmm. and they didn't go Mm. they they got pulled because she'd mentioned Mm. I think they probably sorted that out a bit more 
now, but yeah, um, there's just too much information. Um, I get six notifications. I'm following so many news um, because I don't want to miss anything from the health minister at the moment. So I'm following a yeah. couple of news, trusted news sources, and then I'll end up with six notifications at once when the health minister yeah. is live, you know, and it's like, yeah, I probably need to cull that and follow my own advice. <laughs> just maybe pick one yeah. or two. You'll get advice you'll get the advice and then you put everything else off whilst you're watching and processing right <laughs> because yeah. the fact of the matter is everybody has has an opinion currently on this COVID-19 thing right and you need to yeah. listen to yeah. the reputable sources and get it straight from the horse's mouth so to speak that's it yeah that's it that's exactly right that's exactly right <laughs> Right. So I do hope this was helpful to everyone. Did you have any other comments and stuff on your one? I can't see any comments on there here. There were some comments, but I can't see them on my mm -hmm. iPad. So what I might do, I might close down the podcast episode. Thank you for joining mm -hmm. us on the podcast if you're listening later. Uh, what we're going to do is we're now going to have a look at the questions that are on the Facebook live stream. So if you want to jump from the podcast and, and go to the live stream recording that will remain on Facebook, you're more than welcome to do so. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you.